This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. This podcast is sponsored by Monarch Money. Are you saving to reach your financial goals? Reaching those goals isn't just about getting more money, but by managing what you have. And the best way to manage your money? Monarch Money. Monarch Money is a new kind of finance app that's intuitive, powerful, ad-free, and takes the headaches out of budgeting. Try it free when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Monarch puts all your accounts, investments, transactions, and finances at your fingertips. With a complete view of your finances, you'll gain insights on your spending and find new ways to save. Plus, Monarch lets you customize your dashboard, collaborate with your partner, set custom budgets and goals, and track your progress toward them. See why Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it, and why the Wall Street Journal named Monarch Money the best budgeting app overall. Get a 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash podcast. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H money.com slash podcast for your free trial. monarchmoney.com slash podcast. Where's the kaboom? There was supposed to be an earth-shattering kaboom. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and who taught you what to do if you have a fender bender or maybe even a more serious car accident? Today, we'll ask a pro because joining us, we welcome attorney Elizabeth Calora, partner at PCVA Law. And during our headline segment, one retiree has finally won back her money after she says she was misled by a bank-based financial advisor into purchasing an annuity with her life savings. Believe me, this story only gets better. Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to Becky, who has no money in after-tax accounts. Should she have some money available outside of IRAs? And of course, we'll still have time for my amazing trivia. And now, two guys who probably started the car accident in the first place. It's Joe and O-J-J-J-J-J-G. Well, if you'd stop trying to drive from the right seat and just, I got it. I don't need your help. I've been doing this a long time. I have no idea what you're talking. You know, every time I drive... Every time I drive, there's one person who always says I drive too slow and that I drive like a grandma, and that is you. Every other person, like Cheryl's like, slow down. Whoa, whoa, what are we doing? Ah. Whenever I ride with you, you're like, come on, man. We got to go. We got to go. So not my problem. Doug, Doug and I were talking about this off stage just a little bit ago about how it's so painful. I would rather just walk. What's that? Ride with, ride with me? Yeah. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not kidding. Actually, you should ask him. We both talked about this. I think if you're going to do, if you're going to do backseat driving, I think you need to do it better. 
I think you totally need to do that. I can't just reach over from the back seat and try to. Well, it's probably not the best. I wonder if they have a, a class for this on Skillshare. Thanks to Skillshare for supporting Stacking Benjamin. Skillshare's offering Stacking Benjamin's listeners two months of unlimited access to over 25,000 classes for free. One has to be about uh, common courtesy and uh, letting the driver do his job. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash SB, Skillshare.com slash SB. You ever hear of dot .com? <laughs> That's it. Yeah. That's all. Those are different websites. That takes you to a Russian version. I, that is whole, sure. whole different thing. Thanks also to Cabbage for supporting Stacking Benjamins. Get the money you need to run your small business today. Go to cabbage.com to get started. Credit lines subject to review and change. Individual requests for capital are separate installment loans issued by Celtic. Is it Celtic? Celtic? We've got the Boston Celtics. But I think if you're in that area, isn't it Celtic? C-E-L-T-I-C, one of those two, member FDIC. Either way, member FDIC. Big show today, though. Huge. Big, We've got, giant. We got Liz Calora on today. She is a partner at a law firm in Washington, PCVA. And, OG, you and, you and Liz were having a discussion about everybody talks to mom or dad about what to do after a car accident. Nobody knows what you should really do, right? Yeah. When that happens, that could be a really tough time. So what do you do if you're in a car accident? Liz is going to hook us up with the info. She has all the info. She's so smart. So we got Liz upstairs talking to mom right now. But first, we've got some headlines. So let's move. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamin's headlines. Let's kick off the show with some good news, OG. I want to kick it off with good news. That's what we like. You know how TV stations, if it bleeds, it leads. For us, if it smiles, it compiles. I don't. That's horrible. Probably not. Yeah, I don't know. No, no. We, we probably won't go with that one. Should have play tested that first. First headline here comes to us from Napadashnet. That's the association. Nation, the Association. I am not pronouncing anything today. That's your own little abbreviation that you're using. Yeah. National Association. I don't need both those words. It's an association. Association. Hello. The National Association of Plan Advisors, the people that handle 401ks and pension plans. Good news from Ted Godbout here. Average 401k savings rates hit record levels and balances bounce back. Remember the last, yeah, last time we talked about this, everything was kind of down. People weren't saving enough money. Well, it's all fixed. Probably, probably not. It's all fixed. You guys can go home now. Stop listening. Yes. All's right in the world. Everybody talks about fake news. That would be fake news. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is what Ted writes. Participants appear to be focused on creating a secure financial future as new research finds a record-setting pace for retirement plan savings. According to Fidelity's second quarter 2019 analysis of retirement savings trends, the average employee contribution rate climbed to a record level 8.8%, nearly a full percentage point higher than 10 years ago. Wait, average person now saving 8.8. That's, I I remember OG when I was a financial planner and that number was like at three. Uh, Is this, is this a legitimate study? That seems way higher than every other. This is Fidelity, the average employee contribution rate. I'm not sure if Fidelity is a real concern. Okay, so it's contribution rate into their 401k. Yeah, this probably isn't. Okay. This isn't savings rate. This is. Well, yeah, I mean, if they're single, it would be, 
right? Okay. I mean, assuming it's their only job, but who knows? Okay, it's nearly a full percentage point higher than 10 years ago. When combined with the employer contribution, the average plan total savings rate as of the second quarter was 13.4% compared to 11.9 in 2009. So once you, once you smack on some match there, you're saving over that 10% that, you know, a lot of financial planners say you should do your whole life. That number, by the way, guys, is garbage. Don't use a rule of thumb. But Ted continues, the firm's research, which examines contributions and savings behaviors across more than 30 million retirement accounts, also finds that nearly a third of savers increase their contribution rate in the second quarter, the highest quarterly percentage ever, and nearly three times the 11% of savers who increased their contribution rate in Q2 2009. Encouragingly, 38% of millennials and 34% of women increase their savings rate. Here's the other thing, OG, that makes your number different than this number is that, remember how few people really have a 401k? I mean, there's a huge swath of people that don't even have access. And we did a story, as you know, a few weeks ago about the fact that if you have access, you're much more likely to save. So getting access to more people is a big thing because- if you got a 401k, you're probably looking okay. Like how I did that? Little, little. Uh, you're a poet and you don't know it. I'm a poet and I don't mean it. Nope. That's not how that works. That is probably not it either. Yeah, I think, I mean, obviously if you have access to it, that's step one. That's step actually 0.5 because step one probably is more like, and then do something with that access. So just because you have access to your 401k doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to use it. I'm happy to hear people are doing it, though. So that's good. We got a challenge for you. Stacky Benjamin's challenge coming up. How about if we give away some shirts here? Okay. How about this? Five people who told us, who without lying, you know what mom does with to liars, who go in and increase their 401k, not before you heard this, but after you heard this. Got to increase your 401k or your retirement plan. I don't care if it's a simple if it's a 403B, a 457, an RRSP, Canadian Friends, I don't care which of those it is, we will put your name in a hat because we want you to take part in that thing too. How about that, OG? Okay, fine. Let's get the savings Free rate t-shirts. going. We're going to spread the word with t-shirts. You can proudly wear the t-shirt. People ask you, why do you have the t-shirt on? You will say, because I'm saving. <laughs> yes. Our second headline because I had to leave with a positive one. This one's horrible. This was sent to our friend Joe on uh, Twitter. And he said, uh, I'd love to hear you and OG talk about this. This is from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Uh, this the is PPP. Late last the month. PPG, I guess that would be. The PPG. Written by Tim Grant, a 68-year-old Arlington woman who spent three years complaining that a former PNC Bank financial advisor misled her into spending her retirement savings to buy an annuity is going to receive a refund. Although the Pittsburgh Bank and New York Life Insurance Company officials continue to defend their handling of the situation, Deborah Clark said she didn't understand what an annuity was when she discovered three years ago that she no longer had access to the $65,475 she gave her advisor at PNC Investments. When I first read this piece, her annuity salesperson is how they should report. That's right. Yes. Her annuity, not advisor. Right. When I first read that piece, I went, okay, this is a non-story. I mean, this is, this is horrible. It's bad. There's actually a lot more to this. Listen to this. Mm -hmm. This is where what Joe sent us gets good. 
with the contract she signed, the money she invested would have been tied up for life. Although she was entitled to receive, and this is important, a monthly check for $299 for as long as she lives. Ms. Clark's initial goal was to make sure that the $107,000 she'd saved in her retirement account would generate enough income to pay her $242 a month health insurance premium. She met with a PNC investment advisor, a.k.a. annuity person, who told her she'd need to invest $65,475. Now, you and I know why the PNC person did that. The woman came in with a goal and said, hey, I need $242 a month. It took $65,475 and she ended up with a check for $299 a month as long as she lived. So, because part Which of Which is about how long you need health insurance for. The same time. It's amazing about, how that works. Yeah. Yes, roughly. Ms. Clark said the meeting was brief and to the point. There was no discussion of where the money would be invested. An annuity is not an investment in stocks and bonds. It's a contract with an insurance company. Essentially, the consumer makes either a single payment or a series of payments to an insurance company. In return, the company invests the money and agrees to make regular payments to the consumer, which can be guaranteed for life. So, so far, the the client comes in, says, I have a goal. I have a need. Here's the need that I have that I want to, quote, guarantee that I can always make my health insurance payment. There's one thing in this world that you can write down as a guarantee, and that is an annuity. Assuming that the company is of you know reasonable financial strength, and it's New York Life. Okay, it's the company you keep. There you I go. Have a f- funny story about that, but <laughs> I love how the know, marketing message mission accomplished. The marketing messages just pour from our mouth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they've been around a long time. Problem solved, except for one thing. And this is, this is the, the great part of the story. After realizing about a year later, she couldn't withdraw her money. Ms. Clark filed complaints at the bank against her financial advisor, Nathan Garcia, who'd worked for PNC Investments at the time, she could, which means he's gone now, by the way. She complained to New York Life, the insurance company that guaranteed the annuity. She also complained to the Pennsylvania Insurance Department. She insisted that Mr. Garcia never explained to her what an annuity was or how it worked, and then she wanted her money back. The Pittsburgh Post-Gazette wrote about her dilemma recently. In May 2017, a state official wrote to her. So the state gets involved in these things because these are state regulated. That's right. So the state wrote back to her and explained that the Pennsylvania Insurance Department could not find any statutory violation with the handling of her annuity contract. She came in with a goal. The thing met the goal. Suitability. Suitability. PNC and New York Life also cleared the transaction. But last week, a representative from PNC Bank informed Ms. Clark the bank would cancel the annuity and was going to send her a check for $53,175, an amount that represented all of what she invested minus the monthly payments she's already received from the annuity. Of course, they got to use her 60 something thousand dollars for that amount of time. Pretty good deal for for PNC. But that's how all annuities work, right? I mean, she got hit by a bus day after she signed the paperwork. She didn't get any money. She didn't get any. That's the trade-off. There it is. After three years, they finally did what I asked them to do from the beginning, said Ms. Clark, who retired four years ago from UPMC Presbyterian Hospital, where she worked for 36 years in administration. 36 years, she managed to accumulate $106,000. Well, in this particular account, we don't know if that was all of her money. I see. And and even considering that, she walked into the bank with this hundred and X thousand dollars, and it only took, what, 65000 to meet the goal. Right. This is the important part of this. Everything that happened was correct, OG, except one thing. The advisor 
was not a teacher. And hmm. I think I think that's the moral of this story. Because frankly, if that truly is her goal, there's no reason for her to want her money back. Well, but keep reading though. So this gets better because I've read this already too. And I'm going to come down on the opposite side of this, I think. In the deal, Ms. Clark purchased a single premium guaranteed life annuity guaranteed by New York Life. Her contract stated that if she died before receiving the full amount of the 65475 she invested, her beneficiaries would have received any remaining payments in a lump sum. Annuity contracts, permanent arrangements usually cannot be reversed. New York Life informed Ms. Clark in a letter dated June 7th of 2018 that the sale could not be reversed or altered. PNC Investments followed that up in a letter dated February 12th, 2019, saying the bank had reviewed the case and was in agreement with the findings of the investigation performed by New York Life. We will not be offering the refund. Of course, they did. Yeah, they did later. Uh, uh, Andrew, Stol- what, was the, what was the primary reason she wanted the extra money? It's kind of at the very end. To end the annuity contract, Ms. Clark will be required to sign an agreement that surrenders her right to sue New York Life Insurance or PNC. That's pretty standard, I would think. Yeah. Yep. After the documents are signed and notarized, she said the bank will transfer the funds to Triborough Federal Credit Union in Homestead, where the money will be invested in a traditional stocks and bonds individual retirement account or IRA which allows withdrawals. She said she has no desire to sue anyone. She's just happy to have the issue resolved. From what I read from AARP, there were a lot of seniors who went into annuities and didn't know anything about it. She said, they have more money than I ever did. And now their money's tied up to where they can't even get it. I'm just really, really fortunate to be able to get mine. With her money back under control, Ms. Clark said she's able to move forward with plans that she could otherwise not have been able to put into action. I will finish up on some projects I want to do, she said. I want to do something downstairs with the water in my basement and other projects here and there, like getting my patio finished off with the windows that I wanted to do. But mainly just being comfortable, enjoying my family and being able to just enjoy my little senior life with my money back in my hands. And I can do and have whatever for emergencies. Mm. So I think that this advisor did everything exactly correct and is evidenced by the fact that she wants the money back to build a freaking patio when she said, hey, you know what? The number one goal that I have right now is make sure I've got health insurance for the rest of my life. Now, maybe she qualified for a different program and doesn't need to pay for it anymore or whatever the case may be. That could be the case. But I look at this from the perspective of you said you had a goal. You said, here's what I want to guarantee. As the salesperson in this transaction, you did exactly what the customer wanted And then later on down the line, the customer changed her mind because she wanted to build a patio, which, by the way, will make it so she can't pay her health insurance. (laughs) That's exactly what I was thinking. Which is the thing that you are trying to guarantee. Also, (laughs) as the advisor is going, all right, well, uh, she may want to take this money out and build a patio one day. I'm going to try to make it so she can't so she can get have her stupid health insurance. We don't know this about the conversation, so though. I mean, we don't know, sure OG, not. about the conversation. And frankly, maybe this would have gone differently had the advisor spent some time educating the client on exactly how this thing worked. Sure. But you're exactly right. I got to the bottom of this. She's shooting herself in the foot is what she's oh, doing. Yeah. She's like, I want to ruin everything. Yeah. This is just like the, you know, akin to the same thing of I want to, uh, the market's down 2%. I want to be more conservative now. Right. What? what? I mean, it's a uh, right. We have these long, drawn out discussions. Everybody who listens to this show stands on a Bible and puts their hand in the air and says, 
I promise I will never make a change to my investment portfolio th with volatility. I swear I never will do it. I swear I never will do it. And the market goes down 2%. And I don't get a lot of them. But I get phone calls sometimes that say like, oh, you know, things are getting a little dicey. Maybe we should get more conservative. I was, <laughs> I was paying attention to anything that we're doing. I was amazed when I was a financial planner. And you know, that is part of why I prefer to not be a financial planner is because yeah. that the surreal moments when somebody <laughs> will talk. just trash their entire plan is unbelievable. And a lot of it, by the way, is also once again with, with just half truths. I mean, maybe, maybe the annuity well, wasn't the right thing. And maybe, maybe she had an advisor that could help her create that in a different way where her money wasn't locked up. Mm -hmm. Okay. Didn't read anything about that though. Nothing about that. I want to take care of my patio. Well, and, and see, and you're right about the one thing, which is, you know, you, you, she didn't hire a teacher. And she, what she did was she hired a financial salesperson. And that's who banks also hire, by the way. So the people at banks, they're all good folks, right? They go through background checks just like everybody else. So they're good people, but they're salespeople. And when you walk into a car lot and you go, I really like the orange one, the guy doesn't say, well, you know, this one has a kind of a weird braking system. You're probably not going to want that. You actually want to get the blue one over here. He goes, the orange ones are really great. Let me get you the keys. <laughs> I mean, like it's a sale. That's what you get paid to do. Why would you not sell when someone walks in and goes, I want the thing that does this. And you go, well, I got one. It's right here. And that's the difference between people that are sales professionals and people that are advisors. And this is the clearest definition that I've heard of recently of the idea of suitability versus the idea of in your best interest, you know, and this is the difference right here. It's that transaction as evidenced by the state insurance commission, by PNC, by New York life, all the people that looked at it was Ab a suitable transaction. Absolutely. He checked suitable. all the boxes. He probably did all the paperwork correctly, probably documented in the file correctly. All of that was done suitably. But if you worked with, or if she worked with an actual CFP, an actual financial planner who would have sat down and said, well, let's talk about the dominoes that happen when you do all these different things that you want to have happen. Maybe you came to a different conclusion or maybe she said, well, you know, you better lock this money up because if I get my fingers on it, I'm probably going to build a patio and then I'm not going to have health insurance. So anyways, I'm actually relatively disappointed that she got her money back, to be honest with you. Well, it, it sends the wrong message. Yes. And yeah, I was thinking the same thing just now, even as you were talking, like, how did she get that done? I mean, she must have hired some. I mean, the guy, I mean, think of the guy who, the broker. So he's got a ding on his record as an investigation, a complaint, right? Because she complained. He didn't do anything wrong. He didn't do everything right. But by the letter of the law, he didn't do anything wrong. And that's a pretty stressful thing. All because, you know, and it's not like she didn't get a prospectus. It's not like she didn't get the contract in the mail. It's not like she didn't have... 30 days to read it. Like it says at the front page. Yeah, that's you know exactly what I, mean? what I was thinking. She has a free look period as well. So she can give it there, back. There was a little bit of accountability that you want to, here's the thing I need you to, you got 30 days from the day you signed this to change your mind. She took it through it in the drawer and, and then changed her mind later and went, Oh, well, I don't like this plan. It's like, I need a patio. Well, I need a patio. Before we get to our takeaways, uh, one takeaway might be that more education about how these things work earlier on might help. And guess what? We've got a sponsor doing who does that. A favor if you are a, a salesperson by doing that. You're just heading stuff off at the pass. Yes. Uh, 
Today's episode brought to you by Skillshare. Skillshare I've used for photography. I've used it for design. I also used it for some uh, social media courses. Skillshare has over 25,000 classes that you can take because Skillshare is an online learning community for creators. Classes not only in design, but also in business. There's financial planning courses. You'll discover countless ways to fuel your creativity, your curiosity, and your career. You can take classes in social media marketing like I did, mobile photography. I did that one too. Creative writing, been there, done that, or even illustration. Probably not going to go near that one. OG. Uh, whether you're looking to discover a new passion, start a side hustle, or gain new professional skills, Skillshare is there to keep you learning, thriving, and reaching those New Year's goals. I think the next courses I'm going to take, by the way, are in process management. I just, you know, getting getting processes down is fascinating to me. You can join the millions of students like me already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for stackers. Check this out. You get two months of Skillshare for free. That's right. Skillshare's offering Stacky Benjamin's listeners two months unlimited access to over 25,000 classes for free to sign up. Head to Skillshare.com slash SB. Again, that's Skillshare.com slash SB to start your two months. Skillshare.com slash SB. I think our big takeaways here, OG, is uh, read the prospectus, number one. Maybe also, if you want advice about what to do, maybe not work with a salesperson. That might be another one. And then the big takeaway from the first one, raise your 401k contribution or whatever your retirement plan contribution is. Email me, Joe at Stacky Benjamins, and you know what's going to happen? We'll put Maybe your, you get a shirt. Put your name in for a shirt. You get, you know what? You get a little shirt and a lot more money built up over your lifetime. One of those might be more important than the other one. But if we've got to throw a potential shirt at it for you to do it, we're up for that game. Well, she's been rated by super lawyers as a rising star OG. Right now, she's upstairs talking to mom, Elizabeth Calora. We call her Liz. Liz is a partner at Fowl Cochran, Vertetis, and Amala, attorneys at law. We just usually say PCVA. In the great state of Washington, you were having a discussion with Liz recently, and you were talking about most people don't know what to do, OG, when you get in a car accident. And I realized when you when you texted me and said, hey, Liz said she would talk about what's what to do at a car accident. I'm like, I've never heard it from somebody that would actually know. I've heard it from my dad. And mm-hmm. that's about the policeman. it. Policeman. Yes. The insurance agent. Well, and the insurance agent, you know, who, well, well, let's see. Let's run that by Liz. Elizabeth Calora coming down to the basement. And coming down the stairs to the basement, it's our new friend, Liz Calora. How are you? I'm doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad you're here with us, even though we're going to talk about car accidents. A lot of people will say our podcast is a car accident, (laughs) but but, but we won't go into that. I want to tell you a little story about, and this is probably most people. When I had my first car accident, the first person I called was my dad. And I said, dad, what do I do? And I bet that's what most people do. 
they go, hey, dad, or hey, mom, what should I do? And I'll bet from your point of view as an attorney, mom or dad might not know. Well, I have to admit to you, when I was in a car accident, the first person I called was my mom. (laughs) So... It's perfectly understandable, and it's perfectly fine to call your mom first. You don't have to call an attorney immediately. The first thing you have to focus on is, am I safe? Am I out of the way? And also starting to collect all the information that your attorney is going to need. Gotcha. Now, before we start this interview, whenever we talk to a professional, we have to say that this is for entertainment purposes only. You're not licensed in every state. And this probably isn't legal advice. This is definitely not legal advice. (laughs) And I would just like to point out to everyone that insurance law is different in every single state in the country. So before you take action on anything I might suggest here, you should definitely check with a professional in your state, whether that's an insurance professional or an attorney. Yeah. So is that the first call to my insurance company? Yes. You want to let them know that you've been in a collision. They'll probably ask you if you're okay, and they're actually going to give you a claim number. The other thing that's going to happen is that the other person who's involved in the collision, if it was, you know, not you running into a tree, is that you're going to also have to notify the other person's insurance. And likely they'll have given a call as well. So you're going to start keeping track of two separate claim numbers, yours and the other parties. So you want to, after you call your insurance company, I didn't know this, you want to get the claim number from the other person immediately on the spot. You want to have it as soon as possible because you're going to find out from the other side's insurance what is available to you. Depending on what sort of a collision it is, say it was um, a commercial van, there might actually be what's called med payments from their insurance provider. Those are like medical payments? Yes, yes. Gotcha. So your own insurance, you might have something called personal injury protection or PIP, and that actually will help you pay for medical payments as well. But when you're looking at this, there are so many different levels of coverage that can come in from your co- from your insurance and from the other party's insurance. So you're going to want to notify everybody and find out what's available. I bet just this little bit that we talked about so far, you have plenty of stories of people that have gotten this front end wrong. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you have a good one you could share? Um, Well, actually, before I came down here, I reached out to several of my friends who were attorneys across the country. And all of us, all of us, the the first thing that makes us cringe is you didn't call your insurance provider. You haven't started reaching out, getting health care that you desperately often need after a collision because you're not sure what to do. The other thing that makes us cringe, and this is the absolute worst thing to hear on the other end of the phone, is that a person was hit by an uninsured driver and they don't have uninsured motorist or underinsured motorist coverage because there's nothing that you can do at that point for them except for point them to their PIP and send them on their way. So get whatever you can get from your insurance and that's pretty much it. Yeah. I had that happen myself. I was on a uh, I-75 it, just outside of Detroit. Traffic had stopped to a standstill in front of me. It was an icy day. And I look in my rear view mirror, Liz, and here's this car just barreling at me. And it gets closer and closer. And I realize he's not stopping. Even if he wants to stop, there's no way he's stopping. So I told my family, I had my two young kids in the back at the time and my spouse sitting next to me. And I said, (laughs) I don't remember what I said. I said something like, hold on, everybody. And I floor it. And 
Cheryl starts screaming at me because she has no idea what I'm doing. And I just, there's a car right in front of me. I jack the wheel to the left and I floor it. And luckily the guy just clips me and then runs off to the side of the road. And his car was all messed up. He gets out of the car and he's incredibly afraid that I'm going to call the police. Mm -hmm. And he's also, I have no idea what his situation was, but let's put it this way. He was afraid of the police and he was afraid of insurance. So he handed me 400 bucks and I look at my car and there's barely a scratch on it. There's nothing wrong with my car. There's a lot wrong with his car. And I have to say, I took his money. <laughs> that is probably not what your, what your lawyer would recommend that we do. Well, no, especially because sometimes people after a collision, even the day later, can end up finding out that they are more injured than right. they expect. Right. A lot of us are running around with things going on in our bodies that we don't necessarily know about. It's a lot like playing Jenga. You don't know how close you are to tipping over until yeah. somebody gives you that little push. I think that the situation you just described happens a lot more frequently than, than I want to know about. <laughs> like 400 bucks. That was a good day's work. It makes me wonder what was going on in that guy's life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I should actually point out that sometimes people don't have insurance. They don't have adequate insurance, but you can still pursue a, an action against them. But a lot of people are what we call in the legal community judgment proof. So you could pursue a lawsuit against someone. You could file it. And I've actually had this happen. And then they end up declaring bankruptcy. And there's just nothing that you can collect against. Uh, yeah, right, right. I want to get back to the insurance. Mm -hmm. The first call that we made was to our insurance company. When did the police come in? We, we haven't talked about calling the police. You're right. I, I guess I kind of forgot about the fact that most of the time people are going to be talking to the police. If you can, you know, if it's a small fender bender, you can take pictures as long as it's in a safe place to be. I know that in a lot of places, the police will not even respond if it's if your vehicle is still drivable afterwards. That said, calling in, reporting what happened or reporting it, there's sometimes an online report service, getting something on the record that shows, particularly if you're the one who was not at fault, it's important to get that down somewhere and have a record of it. Sometimes it's a matter of like I said, taking photos, sending an email, getting the other person to say, hey, yeah, this was my fault. I'm really sorry, because that's what we call a party opponent admission and evidence rules. Having something like that will help. But definitely call the police and make the report because a police report or a citation against the other driver saying that they're at fault is extremely helpful when it comes to making a claim against their insurance. Gotcha. I had that very thing happen. I'm going to sound like I'm like accident Joe. How many collisions have you been in, Joe? Do we need to talk about your driving? I don't like the fact I'm talking to an attorney right now. I really don't. The uh, I'm starting to blush. Uh, I was driving my son to school and it was, again, a very icy day and a catering truck slammed into me in the back. And he took all responsibility, by the way, this guy. But I, I called the police immediately and we were just inside Detroit city limits and we waited for a while. And finally, this young guy walks up to me as I'm standing outside my car and he goes, excuse me, sir, uh, what are we waiting for? And I said, oh, I called the police and and uh, and, and I think they're coming. He goes, um, no offense, but this is Detroit and they have a lot of other things they're doing. There's no way the police are coming. And so then I called the police back and the woman who answered the phone told me she's like, 
oh no, sir, we're not coming. If you want to come down to, to your point, mm-hmm. said, come down to the precinct and file a report and that'll be great. The guy actually refused because I said, oh, uh, they told me that we need to go to the precinct. By the way, the person didn't say we, I just thought it should be we mm-hmm. so that he could admit that he did it and uh, he didn't do it, but I still was able to file the report and um, I don't even know if that helped or not. But when it comes to getting the guy to say that he did it or the woman to say that she did it, you said it helps a lot if you can get them to admit that. I mean, I don't want to have my camera up in front of, the, hey, can you can you smile at this and say, yeah, I I hit Joe? Well, if if they say something along those lines, it's helpful. It doesn't necessarily have to be recorded. And in some states, you can't you actually cannot record somebody without their knowledge. So be careful on that front. But if you have photos of the collision and the, the damage to both vehicles, oftentimes it's just a simple rear end motor vehicle collision. And automatically the assumption is, is that that person's at fault. I will say that one of my friends recently had a, a case where <laughs> the insurance or the other side was trying to claim that her client had come to a stop at a stop sign and then reversed at a high rate of speed. <laughs> reversed at a high rate of speed (laughs) which i believe that the i can't remember if it was an arbitration or a jury trial roughly the same reaction you and i are having that's what the finder of fact had but you know it was it was a nice try on their part to try to get out of liability i'd love to be on the other side of that just saying out loud really so that's what we're going with We're, we're going to go with high rate of speed in reverse I've been doing this almost 10 years and never, ever fail to be surprised by some of the arguments that are put up by the other side. You're like, does the fact that I'm doing this under oath mean nothing? Really? Yeah. Well, my dad was a police officer for 30 years, so I already had heard a lot of the stories. You know, officer, the yeah, that tree just jumped out right out in front of me, officer. <laughs> So that probably not as surprised as some people to some of the excuses. Well, after five or six beers, you know, the trees tend to move. They do. It's odd yes. how that happens. Yes. You know, enough cores and things get real yeah. slippery. <laughs> That's By the way, don't drink and drive people. We're just kidding. Just no, please don't. So I've called the police. I like that, getting the police report. And I get taking pictures because... I know enough to know that in a lot of states, there's laws around breaking. Like the person in front of you breaks, I think the person in back then is responsible to break too. Is that a thing? Or You have a responsibility to be paying attention to what's going on in front of you. Obviously, you might be able to get around it if somebody stopped for no reason, such as if there's a green light and somebody slams on their brakes, that's not something that you would usually be expecting or paying attention to. That said, if you're behind someone and you run into them, there's a strong presumption that you were the person who caused the collision. Mostly, a lot of the times what you see people get cited for is following too closely. Next question is around people, bystanders that you might get as witnesses. How important is that? Oh, they're very helpful. I have one right now where the insurance company is trying to deny fault, but I have a wonderful, wonderful person who happened to stop and gave his name to the police. And so if you can't, if the police aren't going to be there, if there is somebody who has been so gracious as to stop, definitely get their contact information. A lot of the times the police report is helpful if there is a citation, but also it's a wonderful source of information for your attorney. You get those 
diagrams that are not exactly to scale. You know exactly where the collision happened. And over time, as people sort of go about their lives, those memories can fade. So you you don't necessarily always remember, oh, I was at mile marker 19 on SR20, but the police report's going to have that. So if the police don't respond, it's incumbent on you to try to collect as much information as possible and write it down in a place that you're going to have it. And that includes, you know, if you put it on your cell phone, please make sure that your cell phone notes or wherever you're putting it your cell phone back up to a cloud. Because if you go and change your iPhone out or if it fails or something like that, you're going to lose all of that information. So just think about that because in some places, Washington has a three-year statute of limitations. So you might not even be filing a lawsuit for a couple of years as you recover or, you know, you've maybe had a really difficult recovery from it and you haven't thought about filing a lawsuit or you haven't thought about filing a claim. So you really need to do your best or even ask a family member to help you collect and maintain all the information. Boy, that's great, especially if it's been a particularly bad wreck or if you're hurt. I mean, you've got so many other things going on that all of this stuff, collecting the information for later to make sure all these things are paid for is, uh, I'm sure it's very difficult for people. Oh, it's tremendously difficult. In some cases, people are in the hospital or in a rehabilitation uh, unit for weeks, if not months. Not to mention the fact that a lot of people end up with mild traumatic brain injuries, which is, it could be, that can be simple as just a slight concussion to people having difficulty with memory. So definitely reach out and ask for help from family members if you need to. And unfortunately, obviously, if somebody listening has had a TBI, they're probably saying, yeah, I didn't know I needed to do that at the time. Yeah. But, you know, do the best that you can. Yeah. It's better to have too much information than not enough. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, when clients come in and they have an organized file and I have photos <laughs> and I know all of your medical providers it just makes my heart happy. It makes life so much easier. And also, those are the people I love to work with because they're going to be responsive and I'm going to be able, I can call them with a question. They're going to respond to me. I just know that even if the insurance company is going to be difficult, I'm not going to have a problem from my client. So if you want to impress an attorney, be really organized. We'll love you forever as a client. That is my next question. We've talked a lot here so far about talking to an attorney. You are an attorney. I've had, as you know, a couple wrecks. <laughs> How many are you going to admit to, Joe? In, in either one of those cases, was it my fault first, just to defend my honor here? And then the second, in the second case, in neither one of those cases did I think I needed to involve an attorney. When is the right time to say, you know what, I think I need to contact an attorney about this, uh, about this accident? I would say the first thing that you need to do after you've been in a collision is take care of yourself. I'll have people who are calling from a hospital and I, I commend them for it. They're trying to think ahead and they're completely freaked out. And I'm happy to help them, but there's a certain point where I'm like, okay, guys, you're going to have to actually get well, get out of the hospital, and then I can really step in and help. And don't get me wrong, like I'll send a letter of representation while somebody's still in the hospital. But I would say you need to evaluate how comfortable you are in terms of navigating the claims process on your own. I did it on my own, but of course, at that point, I was a licensed attorney <laughs> and I had been starting to work in this field for a while. But for small collisions, like the one that you talked about where the guy tossed you 400 bucks, yeah. if there aren't a lot of injuries, 
you're a smart guy. You're you're more than capable of doing the claims process on your own. And to me, there's sort of a supply and demand almost looking graph in my head in terms of when it tips over into being worthwhile to call an attorney. Sometimes adding an attorney to the mix is going to really increase the value of your claim. And other times the amount that the attorney is going to charge is going to end up actually costing you too much. It's not going to be, it's going to be cost prohibitive. Yeah. And there's no precise dollar figure that I can really put on that. But I start to think generally if I need medical attention, that's probably a ringing bell. Yes. And there are actually a bunch of different things that come in once you've had medical attention that you mean that you might want to talk to an attorney. For example, if you're on uh, Medicare, if you're 65 and older or you have a different condition that qualifies you for Medicare, Medicare actually has subrogation rights. It has a lien right against your recovery. So let's say that you had PIP and you had $10,000 of medical payments, essentially. If you exhaust that and you start using your Medicare benefits to pay for coverage, then Medicare gets to be reimbursed from whatever you receive from the claim. And a lot of people don't realize that. And that's where people can get stuck. Oh, boy. Yeah. The same thing holds true. I see what you mean. So you get this big, not even big, you get a small settlement (laughs) and and you went over that number and now Medicare's paid for it for three, four, five months of rehab stuff. And now all of a sudden you've got this bill for 8,000 bucks and you took the family to Disney. Exactly. And then that cost you 12,000 bucks. To be fair, Medicare has the lowest reimbursement rate to healthcare providers, I believe, in the country. So the amount that you're probably going to owe, the amount that was billed by your healthcare providers versus the amount that it was actually paid, there's going to be a big difference there. But still, you have to pay it back. So when I was talking with some of my friends, what they want people to know is that if you settle a claim on your own and you settle it quickly, for example, but you're still sort of treating here and there and your healthcare providers are billing to your normal healthcare insurance, you can end up getting a form letter in the mail after you've already settled with your, with your insurance company or with the other guy's insurance company. And all of a sudden you're thinking, Oh my gosh, I got that $2,000 check from. Geico or USAA or whatever, but now they want 900 bucks and I already spent it buying a new car. Yeah. Not that 900 bucks would get you much of a car. Hey, but Dave Ramsey would love you. Be (laughs) fantastic. Have him as your BFF now. Mm -hmm. I did have a question on that topic about amount of time. You know, you talk about getting healthy, about dealing with the stuff that's really important first. Calling an attorney, probably not number one on that list. But there's got to be a statute of limitations. There, there has to be an amount of time in which I have to make the call. What amount of time is that? Again, it's going to be different in every single state. Yeah. And that's usually something that's pretty easy to Google, although I wouldn't necessarily rely on that. There are a bunch of different things that can happen that can impact the statute of limitations. For example, if it was your child, if you were in Washington State, for example, the statute of limitations does not start to run until the kid actually turns 18. Wow. Yeah, which is, it's important because if you're 17 and you get in a car collision and your parents aren't taking care of it, then you can once you actually are able to sign a contract. Oh, that makes sense. Sure. But in, I believe in Oregon, for example, it's a two-year statute of limitations. And then you have federal claims, which are different as well. So let's say that you were driving down the street and you were rear-ended by a postal service truck. 
Well, you're going to actually be suing the United States of America. Mm-hmm. And there's a different set of requirements that comes in with that. So that's a two-year statute of limitations. And there's something called a tort claim form. If you don't know if you remember anything about the 11th Amendment to the Constitution, but essentially the U.S. government has sovereign immunity. They don't have to be sued. And so they get to set all these requirements that they go through, that you have to go through in order to make a claim. And so you actually make a claim. It's called a tort, literally called a tort claim form. And you have to jump through all these hoops and then you can actually file suit against them. So really the context of the statute of limitations depends on who you are, who is the person who hit you, and where are you? So I'm thinking, ask the question as soon as you're able to somebody local who is licensed in your state. Yes. And in some cases, I've seen insurance companies actually send a letter advising the insured of when the statute of limitations is. But I'm not positive that might actually be even based on state laws whether they have to advise you of that. Let's transition to this. When it comes to making sure we have the right coverage on our vehicle, or maybe even outside of that coverage, what coverages do you think we should probably make sure that we have? Well, obviously, when you're driving any vehicle, you're going to have state laws that require you to have certain coverage. And usually that's liability. And people don't necessarily know what that means. So liability is going to protect your assets if you cause a collision. Obviously, that's very important. But in Washington State, for example, it's only what we call a 2550 policy, which only provides up to $25,000 per person for people that you injure. What I would often recommend, especially for people who are building their financial nest egg and planning for the future, you're going to want to consider getting an umbrella policy on top of that just to protect your assets. Yeah, because 25000 I mean, that's not even – in fact, when I was a financial planner, and I haven't been a financial planner in 10 years, I would tell people – because umbrellas at that point, I think they still do, started a million. Yes. And, and that's a joke. Like a million dollars in a lot of cases, if it's a real accident, not the type I had, just to defend my honor, the, the uh, a million dollars is nothing. Yeah. And that's something that you definitely want to talk to your financial planner about in terms of, okay, what do we need to do? How much more do we need to add? So if you're a high earner in particular, I can't remember where I was, but someone was telling me that they had as clients two physicians, married couple, and all they had were the state required minimums. And it horrified me. It was beyond horrifying. I don't think that I think the person told me they didn't even have UM or UIM as well. And I was practically ready to start pulling my hair out. And UM, by the way, means uninsured motorist. Yes. And UIM is underinsured motorist, which is the next thing from. So if we want to pivot from liability and you want to start talking about the stuff that protects you as a person, if somebody else causes a collision, I will tell cashiers in supermarkets to make sure that they have UIM or UM because the the collision that you were talking about before where the guy didn't want to go to insurance. Yes. He very obviously was running around. Either he had had prior collisions and he was worried his insurance company was going to drop him or he didn't have insurance. So uninsured motorist coverage essentially steps into the shoes of the person who hit you and you get to make a claim against your own insurance company. I highly, highly recommend that everyone have it because even if um, 
So if somebody has just a small policy, a $25,000 policy, and you're out of work for three months because of your injuries or you had to go have a surgery, $25,000 is just not going to cut it. Yeah, nothing. Last question that I have is around insurance companies. In my experience, the insurance companies on my end, I thought, did you're laughing already, did a pretty decent job of taking care of the claim. I mean, that that went pretty smoothly. You're looking at me like all insurance companies or claims representatives might not be created equal. Yes, I would definitely agree with that statement. It's wild and difficult to explain, but different insurance companies, in my opinion, do different things well. People love, I'm actually slightly afraid of stating which insurance companies I have negative opinions on. Because in the past, when I've said this to people that I don't like a particular insurance company, if that's their insurance company, they get angry at me. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that you having a particular insurance company makes you stupid or that they're altogether terrible, but I've seen certain actions taking place from different insurance providers that would meet the level of what we call bad faith. <laughs> I'm not going to put you on the spot on that one yeah, because I won't do that okay. to you. But I will ask you this because I have always generally thought and a lot of times when it comes to the claim process, you get what you pay for. In other words, if you pay a lot less upfront, the claims process is going to be slightly more onerous because the insurance company is uh, trying to get their money back. You're shaking your head. Not always the case. No, not always the case. There actually was, I believe it was maybe a Consumer Reports article a few years ago talking about the five biggest insurance providers in the country. And a lot of people think that because they're the biggest, they're the cheapest, not necessarily true. I don't no, think- I've actually thought that's completely not true because I think that sometimes some of the biggest insurance companies, I've always had the feeling, are big because they're known for kind of more red carpet service. You know what I mean? Like you're going to pay more, but you're going to get better, better help. That's not been my experience with my clients, but every insurance company is going to be different. And I think sometimes it can just come down to who you have as a claims adjuster. But a lot of the claims adjusters don't have that much wiggle room and how much they're offering you. They rely very heavily on claim software where they put in the, the basic facts, the amount of your medical bills how much wage loss you've had. And it sort of spits out a range of reasonable numbers because they have access to all of the claims information that they've settled for the last, you know, 20 years and they, they have it in a system. So a lot of times when they're looking at that, if you go out and get an attorney, that actually can, it bumps up the value of your claim because when you have an attorney in the past, when they're looking at the past claims data, that usually results in a higher amount of money that's paid out at trial or arbitration. And the claims rep knows that you're going to need to come out at closer to the higher end because because you're serious about it. Yeah. It, essentially, it sort of it gives them this range and it's going to move the range around. And then also, they have information about the attorney in there a lot of times as well. They track the claims that they've had with that person. Which is just horrible. <laughs> We don't want to mess with this attorney. Well, yeah. I mean, if the attorney has been willing to go up against them in the past and, and actually go to trial, yeah, that does have a value. I've been told that. Although, to be fair, I've been told that from adjusters who are on different sorts of files instead of just motor sure. vehicle claims. Yeah. 
That's fantastic. If people want to chat more, regardless of where they're at, maybe you can point them in the right direction. How do they find you? They can find me at my firm's website. It's a mouthful, and I apologize to everybody. The name of the firm's Fowl Cochran Vertitis Amala. Holy moly. Oh, I know. Hey, to be fair, two of those guys graduated from Michigan, so there's a Michigan connection. (laughs) That's horrible, though. That's the wrong Michigan connection. I know. That's more of an OG connection than a Joe connection, so... Yeah, if you guys put this in the show notes, then maybe you'll find it. But maybe Joe's going to actually purposely misspell it now. (laughs) Yeah, had you not told me that, we would have... No, we'll do it right. Uh, If you're on your commute or you're uh, walking the dog or whatever it might be, we'll have a link to Liz on our show notes page, stackofbenjamins.com. Thanks for hanging out with us and explaining what to do in a car accident. I can't believe I'm saying this, but that was actually fun. I can't believe it either, Joe. (laughs) And now you have to tell me once we're off the air, how many collisions have you actually been? Okay, time for us to go. Yo, what's up, money fans? I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and welcome to what people commonly call the best part of this year podcast no 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 it's not that no it's not it's it's my damn trivia man it's the trivia it's it's this you're here this is the best part whether you realized it or not anyway i just looked up at the wacky calendar joe's mom gave me and uh hey happy play-doh day so to celebrate why don't you sit back and let me that's good old doug share some great uses of the putty. For example, you know, let's say one of your friends named uh, OG blamed you for a small hole in the wall after throwing around the football. So you just slap some putty on that bad boy and boom, it's fixed. It's totally fixed. Probably will be. But you know, this stuff is the biggest miracle since somebody realized you could use Gorilla Glue and not actually have to use gorillas in the making of the glue. But here's the question. What was the original use for Play-Doh? Here's a quick hint. Didn't start out as a children's toy. I'll tell you that. I will be back with your answer right after this. Well, if you're a stacker running a business, you know that managing inventory, covering payroll, doing a bajillion other things. That's the technical term, OG, bajillion other things. I don't know if you know that. Before lunch, it's just an average day when you own your business. Your time is valuable. Getting the money you need shouldn't take up all of it. And that's why Cabbage created a simple modern way for businesses to access up to $250,000 of credit. Cabbage's application process is online, takes just minutes to complete and get a decision. I like that. If, you know, if I don't have a lot of time, I don't want to waste all day finding out whether or not I can actually do this big thing that I'm planning on doing. Because if you're going for money and you're somebody who is running a business, you're already smart enough to know that you have to have the ROI already down. So you know the ROI, you know what the terms are, you know what you're looking for, and you already know the expected outcome. By the way, if you don't know those things, you shouldn't be doing any of this, right? But you're a stacker, you're a smart business owner, so you know then if your business qualifies, you can access the amount you need right away, and you could withdraw more funds whenever you need extra capital. Cabbage, by the way, has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, That's why we like partnering with them. And uh, they provided over 200,000 small businesses with access to funding. 
It is so hard for small business. Every time we talk to a stacker who runs a business, their big thing is it's not that the business is unsuccessful, right? You read that in the e-myth. It's that the business actually takes off and you don't have the systems, you don't have the processes, and then you don't have the capital to make it all happen. So get the money you need to run your business today. Go to cabbage.com to get started. That's K-A-B, clever there, K-A-B, cabbage, K-A-B-B-A-G-E.com. Credit line subject to review and change. Individual requests for capital or separate installment loans issued by Celtic. We're going to go with Celtic this time. I think it's Celtic though. Celtic Bank, member FDIC. Welcome back, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And have you ever wondered what Play-Doh tastes like? No? No, no, no. Yeah, me, me neither. No. <coughs> nope, I haven't either. But uh, before the break, I asked you this question. What was the original intended purpose of Play-Doh? If you said uh, Play-Doh was used by smart people to reattach random El Camino side mirrors after maybe a little scraping the parking lot of the sizzler you'd be wrong but i like your thinking even though that doesn't work trust me doesn't work the putty's original use was actually as a wallpaper cleaner seriously people would rub it across wallpaper to clean up residue from coal heating i'm definitely not old enough to remember coal heating so i'm, I'm reading all of this on, uh, on, you know, like the Wikipedia machine or something like that. But once houses began switching away from coal to natural gas, uh, you know, and then they introduced washable vinyl-based wallpaper. So many great uses for vinyl. The market for the cleaning putty disappeared. Eventually, kids started playing with the leftover stuff their parents still had around. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. <laughs> there you go. You're welcome. Big thanks to Liz for stopping by. Man, lots of great advice there, OG. I mean, obviously for just a fender bender, no big deal, but uh, I like the advice, especially that it varies state by state. And of course, uh, running it by an attorney, if it's a major accident, never a bad idea. Nope. Got to get the professional opinion on how to handle all the crazy stuff. Easy fender bender is fine, but uh, you get a little bit more serious stuff. Take a second. Speaking of crazy stuff, Play-Doh is wallpaper cleaner. How about that? Hmm, cool. That's a whole different thing. Did you? I, I, I never knew that. That that was actually, Doug, interesting trivia. Nice job. Let's start with Haven Lifeline, OG, and we're going to tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Not being an accident. <laughs> That's so valuable. And... And when you are suing the pants off the guy who caused it. Probably not. Okay. Not that fun. But it's actually your loved ones in your time. And of course, not being in a car accident makes that nicer for you. It's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. If you head to stackybedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now, you'll get a free quote in seconds. And by the way, that's not only what takes seconds. The application is simple and online. That gives you an instant coverage decision not like the weeks people used to spend trying to figure out if they were actually going to get the life insurance they applied for or not. StackyBedjamins.com forward slash Haven Life for more. Today, we're throwing out the lifeline to Becky. Say hi, Becky. 
Hi, Joe and OG. This is Becky. And I have a question with regard to the three-legged stool approach to retirement savings. I'm 61 years old with my own business. I love my work. And while I hope to do it for a long time, it is physical. So I know I could potentially have to stop at any time. I do have a solo 401k, so I'm able to put a lot of money into my retirement account. And when I turned 60, I even started moving my emergency fund into these accounts. So basically, in addition to my index funds and some individual stocks, my emergency fund and my first two years of living expenses are inside my IRA, Roth IRA, 401k and Roth 401k inside TIPS funds. So basically, I have almost no after-tax leg of my stool. My thinking is that because I'm over 60 and I've had my Roth for more than five years, I can access my money penalty-free, and so why not have it all in tax-advantaged accounts? So am I missing something? Is there a good reason to have money in after-tax accounts? Thanks for your help. I don't really expect to learn anything, but honestly, my goal of calling is just to hear the smooth sounds of Joe and OG saying my name. <laughs> Thanks. Oh, that's so great, Becky. That's so great. That is so fun. Thanks. Thanks for the question. OG? Well, I think that, uh, frankly, tax-free money beats taxable money, right? Yeah. yeah. So in the hierarchy, I'd be happy to have a big pile of that and nothing in a brokerage account. But like she said, because she's after 59 and a half, there's no penalties. I think if she's accumulated a decent amount of money, then what's going to happen as a byproduct of required distribution starting at 70 or 72, depending on what happens with the with the upcoming rules, is she'll actually start accumulating money in that after-tax account, you know, because we turned 67, now you're going to start getting Social Security. Oh, it's just going to happen anyway. You know, so you're just going to, you know. Sure. You're going to kind of pile it up anyway, probably. Um, so I would really wouldn't stress it. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing that I can see, depending on the size of that Roth, because obviously the Roth is where you're going to take money from uh, because it's so easy, right? There's going to be no tax at all on that money. So that's attractive. But every time you take money out of that Roth, you give up a little bit of ability for tax planning later so that you can play the take money out up to the, let's say, top of the 12% bracket. Uh, mm -hmm. take money out of there from your 401k and pay tax on that at the low rate, like Ed Slot says in a piece we read last week, or other people say, like OG and I, not nearly as well known as Ed, but you know, <laughs> but you are OG, as I said, then you're part of the triumvirate of nerdery with uh, yes. Ed and Mr. Kitz's. But my thought process only depends on how much money you have in that Roth, because if there's not much, and you spend it today, well, then you don't have anything to do some tax planning with later on. So it all depends on how much money's in that Roth. That kind of shades my answer. But besides that, I don't see any reason to yeah. have money in a brokerage account. Yeah. Good stuff, Becky. Thanks for the question. And thanks for an easy one. And by the way, nice job bringing the question. Speaking of that, in our basement Facebook group, mom has said that she's going to send cookies to some of our best callers. So, and then we don't know, like, how do you choose the best caller without looking like we're picking favorites? Like clearly there, Becky would be our favorite, but we're not going to do that. Instead, uh, every week in our basement Facebook group, we're going to now show the Facebook group the three calls of that week. And then mom said she'll send them out cookies to the best one. 
So bring your best work. Head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash voicemail. So not only do you get a shirt, you may get cookies and a shirt. Hmm. We're loading people up, OG. I was going to say, I think I should get cookies every time that we also pick somebody. Like I should have to test them. Every time we answer a question successfully, because it's exhausting. Let's be serious. Yes. Yes. Sure is. Speaking of, not speaking of exhausting, I don't know where that was going. Speaking of that, this show has exhausted itself. How about that? Uh, that's going to do it for today. A couple quick things here at the end. Thanks to everybody who's left us a review of this here podcast. It's uh, great to read on Mom's Fridge, some of the reviews that we've gotten. So thank you very much to everyone who's left us one of those. And then also, if you're looking for financial planning help in your corner, OG and his team of financial planners, they are taking on new clients now. So head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG, and that will lead you to their schedule, and then they will take it from there. All right, that's going to do it for today. Tell us, Doug, what should we have learned on today's podcast? Well, you know, Joe, first of all, if you were paying attention, you to learn. First thing is take a lesson from Elizabeth Calora. Are you in an accident? Follow a few simple rules and you'll make sure that everything is resolved as it should be. Second, take a lesson from our headlines. Maybe match your investments to your goals and hire people in your corner who have your best interest at heart. And then you won't have to beg your bank for your money back so you can redo your patio. But the big takeaway, keep some Play-Doh around the house. You never know when that stuff will come in handy. And if it doesn't, heck, it'll entertain OG for hours and hours. Yes, hours. He's not as sharp as you people think he is. Special thanks to Elizabeth Kalora. You can find more from Elizabeth and her team at pcva.law or in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and it appears I've fallen and I can't get up. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. I saw a movie, man, I hope it's still in theaters now, not a huge distribution, which kind of surprised me, 
but I saw this film recently in a theater called Blinded by the Light. Still coming to my party tonight? Yeah, of course. Emma's mates are coming, and I know one who would be perfect for you. It's not fussy. Really? First day, start at the top and stay there. Stay away from the girls! I want to be a writer, but my family is stuck in another century. Writing isn't a job. I need you to do more. Make a wish, beta. Kiss a girl and get out of this dump. Bruce, the direct line to all this true in this world. Seriously, what does he know about our world? listening to our music before you start getting confused and hating yourself. This is a story of a young man who is a second generation immigrant. His dad uh, came from Pakistan, moved to a small town outside of London. It takes place during the 1980s and uh, a big recession going on in the UK and his dad always struggling to have his job. Also his dad trying to, trying to, in some ways, uh, keep some Pakistani identity, like keep his family's identity. While obviously when you move to a new country and are around different people, you get this melting pot. And so it goes over the movie covers uh, in his neighborhood, the skinheads that terrorize him and his family, the other families that are more sympathetic, the fact that his dad wants him to be a lawyer or a doctor. Of course, it's funny, OG. His dad said, you know, I'm not like a lot of Pakistani fathers. You don't have to be a doctor. You can be a lawyer. <laughs> he just wants big things for his son. And yeah. so you can feel this push and pull on this immigrant family of the things that they want. Of course, as you heard, he discovers Bruce Springsteen and all of a sudden Bruce Springsteen in a kind of hilarious way becomes the soundtrack of this kid's life. And uh, it uses the Bruce Springsteen. It uses tons of Bruce Springsteen songs to kind of make the point of, of the movie. So I went in excited about the film. I got to tell you, you know, the fatigue you get from watching superhero movies. Yes. I have now seen four movies that use music of a single band to make the point. Now, obviously the first two that I saw Bohemian Rhapsody actually was about Queen and Freddie Mercury and Rocket Man was about Elton John and was about him. But then I saw Yesterday, which was a story, but that involved the Beatles. That's the one, if you remember, about the kid who falls on his bike or gets hit while he's on his bike and he comes to and the whole world has forgotten the Beatles. So he goes and becomes mm, a rock yep. star playing Beatles songs. And then we have this one, which is explaining this kid's life using all Bruce Springsteen music. And it, in some degree, like I like the movie, but the fact that it's the fourth film that emphasizes just one band's music or one singer's music, it had a very strong ending and it was a strong movie. Uh, Cheryl went out with a big thumbs up. I went out with a, yeah, that was a, it was a strong ending to a movie that was trying to make a lot of big statements. And, uh, I thought it was okay. I thought it was good. I know the Rotten Tomato score on this is through the roof. It's like 98%. I can see why. So it's probably just me. But um, 
Blinded by the Light. Not one of my favorites this year. Weren't blown away. I was not. No. Um, good story. You know what I mean? I mean, it had nothing to do with the. I like the story. I like the the what the movie was talking about. I like Springsteen music. I thought there was a little too much Springsteen music. I think it would have done better had it not tried to shove every single Bruce Springsteen song into the film. <laughs> like if there were maybe three less. And I'm a guy that's seen Springsteen live. So it's not that I don't like Bruce, just maybe a little much. Okay. Hard pass. For you? Yeah. Sounds like it. Well, Stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's Military Appreciation Month, and we are giving out shout-outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend, OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.